Army veteran Tony Hoffman retired after a 26-year career and is currently the public works director for the city of Overland Park, Kansas. An author, engineer, West Point graduate, qualified Army Ranger, endurance athlete, and founder of Team Leadville, he remains engaged in meaningful endeavors that have a positive impact on veterans, veteran families, and the community. Tony's purpose? To inspire others to self-improvement through action and word. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Whatever branch of the service you were in, you can become a member of Navy Federal, and your family members can too. Join over 1.5 million veterans that Navy Federal serves and enjoy 24-7 exceptional service and powerful products created with you and your life goals in mind. Check out NavyFederal.org. All right, today we're talking with Army veteran uh, Tony Hoffman with founder of Team Leadville. Tony, you've been a, a passionate runner um, most of your life, most of your career. Um, you've done some great things that um, some really good running stories. If you're really into running marathons that we're, we're going to talk about and um, some of the things you've done since retiring from the army. Also uh, part of where your book comes from, um, which is uh, embracing grit. So before we get to talking about all that, take us back and tell us what you did when you were in the army. Sure. Joe, uh, appreciate what you do for veterans. Um, it's, it's absolutely critical. So thank you and your team for what you do for veterans. Um Joe, uh, go back to uh, 1983, my junior year in high school. I actually enlisted under what was called the Delayed Entry Program. Yep. And they still have was that. was to uh, put, my, put myself through school, yeah. college. Do they still have the um, Delayed Entry Program? I'm sorry? Do they still have the Delayed Entry Program? I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I remember um, that when I was in high school, yeah. You know, basically making a commitment to when you graduate from high school that you'll be in the military. Mine was a two-year enlistment. Mm-hmm. Uh, started active duty as an enlisted soldier, Army side, uh, 1984. Um, sought some opportunities after discussion with uh, actually one of my, um, my uh, counterparts in, in the military. Uh, and I applied to the U.S. Military Academy Preparatory School on my own. And was accepted there, uh, went there from 1985 to 86, and was uh, fortunate enough to earn an appointment to uh, U.S. Military Academy at West Point through, um, I was from Minnesota, through a congressman in Minnesota, Arlen Stangland. Um, graduated from there in 1986 to 1990, uh, four great years at a, uh, a very good institution, as you know, as all of the academies and all of the ROTC programs are. Um, branch engineer, um, wanted the kind of excitement uh, of uh, frontline type stuff like an infantryman, infantry person, um, but wanted the skill set of an engineer uh, to maybe fall back on whenever I would get out. And who knew how long that would be? Um, went to Ranger School in 1991, wanted that challenge too, was fortunate enough to, to get through that course. And then really um, for most of my, most of uh, my first half of my career as an officer, was on the tactical engineering side of the house, helping maneuver forces, et cetera, with, with a few deployments, uh, tail end of Desert Shield, Desert Storm, 14-month tour as Iraq kicked off, et cetera. Um, later, uh, selected for command and, and kind of veered off uh, through the selection process to the Army, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers side of the house, 
really kind of a different part of the military, joining um, the largest public engineering entity in the world, commanded at the lieutenant colonel level in the Walla Walla District of the Army Corps of Engineers, and then um, was fortunate enough to be selected uh, for the, for district command as a colonel here in the Kansas City region as the district engineer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Kansas City District from uh, 2010 to 2013. Um, and during that time, um, led two uh, very major natural disasters that simultaneously. We had the Joplin Tornado Recovery Mission. 162 people perished in that horrible event in May of 2011. And then um, right behind it and during that cleanup process was, uh, at the time, record Missouri River flooding in 2011. So really got a taste of uh, emergency management and disaster recovery during that time frame. Um, it was decision time, 2013, whether you continue on or not. We decided to make uh, this region in the Kansas City region home in Overland Park uh, and then transitioned out uh, uh, to the private side first and now uh, to the public side, Joe. Wow. Now, this whole time uh, you, you did all these things in the Army, you were an avid runner, right? I was, Joe. I started uh, marathoning 30 years ago. It'll be 30, 30 years ago in 1990. Um, I believe it was November, the Marine Corps Marathon, first marathon. Oh, wow. So that's continued uh, kind of parallel to all the military things and non-military, being, being out of the military now. I've uh, had about 40, I'd have to look, 42 marathons, I think, completed, including uh, 13 Boston marathons, and then uh, branched off into the ultra marathons at the mileage of uh, 50 to 100 miles after 2013, after getting out. So uh, that's always been a staple for me for a variety of reasons, but uh, thanks for asking about that. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about after 26 years in the Army and retiring, talk a little bit about what your what your transition out of the Army was like. Uh, I was probably fortunate, Joe, in some aspects, uh, having had the opportunity to command uh, lead uh, to uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineer districts. Uh, there's 40, I think, 46 districts in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Nine are commanded by lieutenant colonels. The others are commanded by colonels. Uh, the fortunate part is uh, you're leading as a uniformed officer, but it's primarily civilians. So in the case of Kansas City District, about 900 uh, non-military and probably just a handful, four to six, depending on how many slots you get. Um, the point being, I had the luxury, I guess I would put it, of uh, having been around non-military, um, although in uniform. That transitioned pretty well, um, engineer by degree, and um, decided to stay in the Kansas City area, which is, I believe, the fourth largest conglomeration of engineering firms Uh from there, transitioned to the private sector um, with the architectural engineering firm called Stantec, a great company. And then, um, uh, unbeknownst to me, was contacted uh, by, um, by the city of Overland Park to, to uh, consider putting in for the public works director job and uh, a job which I ultimately competed for and have been in now six years uh, next month. So, um, but the transition itself, um, although I had the luxury of, of, those aspects uh, in military was still a challenge. Um, and I've had the fortunate, uh, um, fortunate time to work with transitioning veterans since 2014. Um, there's a nonprofit called the Society of American Military Engineers, and we established what was called Warrior Transition Panels, Joe, 
where um, we've actually been in touch uh, with over a thousand soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines since 2014, where we'll get a panel of professionals that has made the military transition and then talk to groups of soldiers, sailors, airmen, or Marines. Um, we've done it at Fort Leavenworth a few times, Fort Riley, Kansas, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, Whiteman Air Force Base, um, Fort Carson, Colorado. Um, the intent of those is, uh, as you and your listeners know, uh, there are some pretty formal processes which, with the Soldier for Life Transition Assistance Program and other programs with the Marine Corps, Coast Guard, uh, Air Force, etc. cetera. Uh, our panels were not meant to um, take over that process, but they were meant to augment it by getting in front of folks that are making the transition to really let them know what it's going to really look like when they get out. Not that we have, not that the transitioning veterans had all the answers, but maybe to fill in some gaps. And as the military member made the transition and are in the process of going through those Department of Defense sponsored transition programs to maybe apply even more and know what to look for in those programs to augment and make their transition a smoother process, Joe. So on the subject of transition, what are some of the things that that really jump out at you as far as transition roadblocks or obstacles or big transition mistakes that most veterans make? Great topic, Joe. Uh, the, the top three for me, uh, I think, are first for the military member in transition is to own the process. Um, I cannot emphasize that enough. That's probably my number one transition assistance uh, piece of advice to folks that are, are departing the military is own the process. What I mean by that, it's really uh, taking on the process, owning it, um, and not expecting somebody else to do it for you. Mm-hmm. That said, it comes kind of into my second uh, major takeaway is reach out for assistance from those that you know, uh, both in, uh, not so much that are in uniform because they haven't made that transition yet, but those mentors, coaches, teachers that you know uh, that have been in uniform have made the transition to collect as much information and lessons learned from them which is, um, you know, reaching out for assistance is kind of a 180 from what you're taught in the military. You're taught to keep it at the lowest level, mm-hmm. figure out problems that, uh, or, or figure out problems at your lowest level without going to your leaders. Right. I would say don't do that. Go reach out for help because there's a plenty of folks that will want to help the transitioning veteran. Uh, the third piece I'd say, uh, and I see this, mainly with uh, senior non-commissioned officers and officers, say 20 years or, or, or more, is not starting early enough in the process, um, not leaving themselves enough time. I certainly respect running to the finish line in jobs, et cetera. I, I did that myself. But in retrospect, once I had made the decision to transition, I, I should have put more time and effort into preparing for that transition not only for myself, but for our family as well. So those would be my big three takeaways, Joe. Own the process, reach out for assistance, and then um, starting early, as early as you can for the transition. All right. Great advice. Uh, Great breaking it down to three points like that. Um, Hey, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Navy Federal membership is open to all veterans and their family members too. I was in the Marine Corps for 24 years, and I've been a Navy Federal Credit Union member for 30 years, and all my family members are Navy Federal Credit members. If you served in the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Space Force, Coast Guard, or Air National Guard, you can join. 
Serving over 1.5 million veterans, Navy Federal understands the unique lives of veterans and offers products and services to meet your life goals. As a member-owned, non-for-profit credit union, Navy Federal has a mission to put you and all their members first by making your success their priority. On average, members earn and save $361 more per year just by banking with Navy Federal. If you're in the market for a new car, Navy Federal Credit Union makes buying a car easy with their auto loan process. Their application process is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone. It's so fast, you can get a decision in seconds. Insured by NCUA, credit and collateral subject to approval. Rates subject to change and are based on credit worthiness. Messages and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. The first time I used Fiverr was back in the summer of 2014 as I was preparing to start this podcast. I needed a logo. So I went to Fiverr, submitted some basic info, and within 24 hours, I had a great logo. Ironically, the guy who created the logo was an Army veteran, so he totally got the whole message of Pathfinder Freedom and the veteran message and everything else. Fiverr's online marketplace connects businesses with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. Find what you're looking for instantly. It's easy. Customize your search by service, deadline, price, seller reviews, and more. No more guessing games. You'll know exactly what you're paying for up front. No negotiating needed. Pricing is always project-based, not hourly. This time is difficult for all of us, so having a network of quality talent you can count on is crucial. Find freelancers that are ready when you are. Fiverr's platform is flexible enough to accommodate and manage the ebb and flow of business. Check out Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code VETERAN. Find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code VETERAN. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code VETERAN. All right, back talking with Army veteran Tony Hoffman, uh, founder of Team Leadville and uh, your, your recent book, uh, Embracing Grit. So, Tony, um, when you did finally retire from the Army, you took a civilian job in public works, nothing to do with the military, no defense contract or anything like that. So you've become civilianized, but yet you've you've deliberately stayed engaged and ma- and maintained that connection to the military. Tell us about what you've been doing there. Yeah, Joe, I was very fortunate to, um, again, first year out of uh, the military, worked for architectural engineering firm that was uh, going after federal program type contracts, which was great. Uh, but then um, uh, this job, oh, this job was available. And I thought it was a better skill set for what I had done in the military as a um, U.S. Army Corps of Engineer District Commander with construction, et cetera. So I'm the public works director, city of Overland Park, Kansas, uh, second largest city in the KC region, 200,000 folks. And I lead a team of, of 140 personnel on a day-to-day basis. So obviously um, fortunate enough to be in a leadership position where the uh, leadership from the military, those types of values, et cetera, do um, – do cross over into this particular career. I found uh, it, it's been very rewarding. Work with some great folks. It's a public sector job, so you're giving back to the community that you live in. I actually live in, we live in Overland Park. So um, it's neat to be a part of the city team that has a key role in our community. Um, I tried to, but there was kind of a missing link, and I think some of the veterans that make that transition may find that as well as, how do you still maintain um, kind of a toe in the water, so to speak, with the, the military and the culture that you left, especially like you and I, Joe, 
both retired after 24 and 26 years respectively. It's part of kind of who you are. It may not be who you are today. It's not who I am today. We still wanted to maintain an affiliation with the military. One of the aspects I did is through our running. Um, in 2013, uh, had been doing marathons since uh, 1990, as we, we talked about. I decided to up the ante and uh, challenge myself to uh, to take tackle one of the hardest ultra marathons in the world called the Leadville 100, called the Race Across the Sky. Um, Leadville sits at 10,200 uh, 10, feet, highest incorporated city in the U.S., and they have a 100-mile event that you have to complete within 30 hours. Um, attempted it in 2013, got pulled off the course due to time, and there are certain time hacks that you have to hit. I did not meet the time requirements at mile 60, so got pulled off at 60 and decided in 2014 to, to give it another shot. And, and, um, and that's what my book, Embracing Grits, about, Joe, is, is about that journey of, of uh, tackling something that you probably didn't think you could do. All of that said, the lessons learned from um, going to that race and, and succeeding, if you want to call that success, I think there's different ways to define success, um, led me to say, hey, this would be a great venue to have a team element, a team marathon, that a team that has to start and finish as a team and also um, support a veteran cause doing it, which was the creation of Team Leadville with our inaugural run in 2015 at the um, Leadville Trail Marathon. So each year uh, since then, we've gotten now uh, six straight years running, 63 runners, and um, again, this race goes up to 13,185 feet. It's a full marathon. And the thing that Team Leadville does is we start and finish as a team. However, the other piece is each of the runners is expected to raise money for a selected veteran nonprofit that will assist veterans. And we have done that. Um, our selected nonprofit uh, and really our mission is to stop veteran suicide. We, we decided that back in 2016 with our second run, uh, our second marathon as Team Leadville. And we chose a uh, Kansas City-based nonprofit called Warriors Ascent to support for a variety of reasons. One, they are tackling the veteran suicide issue through their Academy of Healing. And the dollars go directly to program, not to overhead. So, so that was the really impetus, the 100-mile run, and the location of Leadville was exactly what I was looking for, uh, for an endurance, teamwork, and grit event. And we've been able to do that through Team Leadville. And we've raised uh, over six years now, $216,000, Joe, and um, that has saved 108 lives. It costs about $2,000 to put somebody through that program. From the entrepreneurial piece, could almost look at that as a small business starting up from scratch. And um, I've got the numbers here, but uh, the, the amount of donations we've raised in that six years went from 7,000 to 17,000 to 35,000 to 70,000 and then 49,000 and during a pandemic, 38K. So if you were to say, hey, if I'm going to increase 50% each year, for in this case donations or profits, that's not that's not what we do. Um, I think that'd be a fairly successful uh, small business, Joe. So that's that's the impetus for Team Leadville and what we do right now. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, talk about grit. I can't imagine being sixty miles into a hundred mile race 
and getting pulled off because you weren't quite fast enough. Holy cow. <laughs> Had to be frustrated. Yeah, it's not, uh, but you didn't until, quit. <laughs> uh, you you kind of know the timelines. Uh, and knowing those timelines and those cuts, it, it really adds a lot of pressure when you know, hey, I'm on the fringe of not making it. But that gets back into the grit piece of challenging yourself to do something you weren't sure you could do. Mm-hmm. And then um, training for it and being probably mentally and physically tough, but just not having enough um, enough energy on a particular day to, to complete the event. Um, that's why I don't define that as not successful. I mean, you gave it your best. You didn't quit. And fortunately, you just didn't meet the time cut. But yeah, it's uh, it's quite a um, unceremonious end to a 60-mile effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Now, typically, how many runners for Team Leadville participate in the event each year you don't have all 63 running at the same time do you no joe we we've said uh, we've gone up to 16 before uh and i think that's our max um we've we want to keep it to a manageable uh, amount um we've got runners of all abilities by the way and i'm very proud of this that 11 of those 63 that have run with team leadville were first time marathoners so they'd never run a marathon. That's crazy. It's not a requirement. I'm, I'm kind of the person who, who vets it as kind of the founder, coach, administrative person. Um, the, the great part about it is I've got folks that, um, one, you've got repeat performers that have wanted to come back. But I've also had West Point classmates, two of them, had none, uh, one had never run a marathon, but he said, hey, look, I want to donate to that cause, but I want in next year. The only thing I ask of the runners, Joe, is to make sure they understand our purpose. It's not a race that, um, you know, there are some that are much more physically able and could finish faster than our group. We have eight and a half hours to finish that race by, by the timeline that's been uh, designated by the race. Um, but the, the only thing I ask them to do is come ready because we have runners from all four time zones and we never really train together. So we come together as a group. And we're going to altitude um, where most of our runners are from, you know, 900 feet here in Overland Park, Kansas. And what's been amazing to, to me is one, they all come ready and they know what the mission, their mission is to get ready. And more importantly, it's for a bigger cause. In this case, to stop veteran suicide and make a positive difference for veterans and first responders that are suffering from post-traumatic stress. To me, that's been the most rewarding piece um, for, for me, Joe, is being around folks that are all in, on a mission that they believe in and a very tough physical event to achieve. Yeah. You know, um, we've had a number of uh, folks on the show that started and run nonprofits, uh, many of them veteran nonprofits. Um, and a lot of, a lot of veterans, they get out and they want to start a veteran nonprofit. Um, I, I would like to, I'd like to say that the world probably doesn't need any more veteran nonprofits, but, um, what, what we need is, veteran nonprofits that are run better, um, and run in a more professional way, um, in a trusting way. There's been a lot of abuse in that space. Not, not, not typically veterans that abuse it, but you know, a lot of guys rent a vet, you know, and, and put them as a figurehead and then do things behind, behind the scenes. But, um, a lot, my, my point is a lot of times you don't realize what you're getting into when it comes to running a nonprofit. It really, it really is a business. Um, and unfortunately you get into the business of wanting to help people, but you end up spending most of your time trying to raise money. Um, so you're really getting into the business of raising money and running a business. You're not, 
if you're going to run the nonprofit, you're not going to have, if you're the, if you're the figurehead of the organization, you're not going to have all that one-on-one time or as much of it as you might think. So you chose to do something different. And that is designate a nonprofit that you're going to raise money for, and then turn the money over to them, which is a great way, a great thing to do because so many nonprofits need people in organizations like you that will go out and raise the money for them. And can you talk a little bit about, um, the legalities of what you do? Like, how do you make sure it's legit? I mean, they just write the check to Warriors Ascent and you're good to go. A little bit about, and, and, and Warriors Ascent has to, has to trust you um, to you because you're using their name in, under the guise of raising money for them. So talk a little about the legalities and the mechanics of actually, if you don't want to start a nonprofit, but maybe you want to help one that's already out there, how do you go about doing that? Sure, Joe, I think... All great points. There are, um, I, I think, first first and foremost, I think it's important to vet the, the nonprofit. Uh, vet meaning um, do a little bit deeper dive into their 501c3 numbers. Are they reporting to the IRS? Um, also, if you're local with a nonprofit, is to talk to some folks in that nonprofit to make sure it's well run. One of the aspects that we'll always do as Team Leadville is to ensure that a high high percentage of them of the donations go directly to program. There's got to be some overhead associated with, say, the executive director positions and full time positions. That's a critical aspect, I think, is to maybe vet the organization for not legitimacy, but is the money going to what it says it's supposed to be going towards. That is the case with Warriors Sent. Um, the other thing you'd asked uh, asked me to kind of elaborate on is how do you get involved. I think starting as a board member, as a veteran for maybe a veteran nonprofit or just any nonprofit that you are passionate about would be a a very important start before even starting a nonprofit. Maybe get to see how a nonprofit is run through the eyes of those that are doing it on a day-to-day basis. And then there might be opportunity to establish a nonprofit. You hit the nail on the head. It's unfortunate. I've never been in the quote-unquote profit-making business, but um, you have to you have to raise money for the cause in order to support whatever nonprofit is and their mission, um, and that's a different skill set. That's a different skill set. Asking you know corporations or companies for uh, to support your cause financially, I, I think a lot of folks believe it's a pretty easy sell. When we started Team Leadville, I thought, wow, it's going to be pretty easy to get, get donations um, because it's a great cause. Well. No, it requires some marketing. It requires trust. I think the biggest piece in raising funds is trust. As people support our runners, they do support the nonprofit and our mission for Warriors Ascent. However, they're really supporting the runner and they're trusting the runner that I trust, you know, Joe Crane or Tony Hoffman, that the money that I provide, that that he has, he or she has vetted that organization and I'm going to donate because of Joe or because of Tony. That is what I have found. The other piece that's been amazing to me is most of our two hundred sixteen thousand that we've uh, that we've raised through our donors' efforts has come from individual donors, um, not big companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know I always wait for that silver bullet. Someday we're going to get that X amount from a large company, and, and it's coming. Uh, however, our individual donors have done a tremendous job. So, so really, in summary, Joe, I think sitting on a nonprofit as a veteran 
really would give them um, an opportunity to see how a nonprofit is run before maybe just diving in to start a nonprofit of their own if they want to know um, kind of the ins and outs of what goes on in a day-to-day world of a nonprofit. Now, your book, Embracing Grit, is all about Team Leadville and running this 100-mile um, event above 10,000 feet. So, you know, like say – Every veteran's got a book inside of them, but most of us don't ever write that book. So talk about what it took to actually write the book and the purpose behind the book and some of the lessons learned because oftentimes writing a book, promoting the book, marketing the book is a very entrepreneurial pursuit. It sure is, Joe. And I'm learning that I'm kind of building the airplane as as it's flying here. Um, So again, uh, it's based on my uh, efforts in 2013 and 2014, not achieving the hundred miler getting pulled off at 60 in 2013 and then uh, applying lessons learned and and finishing the race in 2014. I really wrote the book for a few reasons. One really first and foremost, inspire others, not so much to run a marathon or a hundred mile event. In fact, I'd probably recommend not doing that. Um, But, but really to inspire others to maybe put themselves on a journey, a personal journey of their own in something they didn't think they could achieve. And creating a plan to, to achieve it, but yet you don't really know what that result may be. That to me is the essence of what I call grit is putting yourself on a journey on something that you, you maybe didn't think you could do. Um, and it's a leap of faith, but you're putting the effort into it and you don't know if you're going to be able to achieve it or not, but putting yourself on that personal journey, that's really the key essence of my book about the, my Leadville experience. The other piece is, Joe, I thought it was good 2020 with what's going on with the pandemic. There's a lot of negative news out there. This is a positive story about uh, really a common person, myself, doing an uncommon thing. Uh, Usually you think of elite ultra marathoners completing an event like the Leadville 100. So it's really, hey, um, some of us that are a little more aged can still achieve big results on a big stage while working full time, raising a family and trying to support, you know, veteran activities, et cetera. Um, and the other thing is, is it creates a bit of a legacy for our kids. We've got three kids. They'll look back and say, hey, that was a book that my father did. Um, it's volume one of the Endurance and Grit series. Volume two I'm working on now, just started. Uh, it's in the early stages. That will be about Team Leadville and our mission to stop veteran suicide. So that'll be volume two of the Endurance and Grit series. Back to writing a book, Joe. Uh, for me, it was fairly easy to write the book. I actually wrote it in 2014, a month after the race, captured it. And you say, well, why did it take you six years? Um, I had a friend, West Point classmate, that really pushed me here in the last few months to say, look, you can do this. I thought the concept of self-publishing a book would be way too hard. Um, it's really not that difficult. The writing itself was pretty easy because it's something I know about, it's something I experienced, and I actually enjoyed it. Then getting into the print was a little bit different, different process, uh, hiring somebody for the cover, et cetera. Um, so the writing piece for me wasn't necessarily the hardest part, getting it edited, getting a professional design cover, et cetera. You talk about the entrepreneurial piece of uh, promoting it. That's another challenge. Um, you know, being on your podcast, I can't help, I'm not self-serving, but gives me the opportunity to your viewers to hear about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a constant battle. 
most indie independent authors, I looked it up, the average amount of books that they sell is 250 for the life of a book. So uh, it's an uphill 250 climb. Books. 250 books for the life of a book. <laughs> uh, right now we're at about 150, uh, about a month and a half in, and that's fine. It was never meant to be a, say, profit-making piece. More important is to get the message out there about the bigger piece of grit, grit, embracing grit, and putting yourself on the journey. Writing a book can be challenging. There's plenty of information out there, but it does require it does require a bit of grit to take it over the finish line and then um, make sure you're publicizing it in terms of getting folks uh, engaged. They won't know unless you tell them, and there's a variety of ways to do that, and I'm still learning that process, Joe. Yeah, you know, the thing about writing writing books is, for the most part, unless you're planning on being Stephen King or somebody like that, you're not going to write the book because you want to make money at it. Right. Um, and like you said, no one's going to know how many books you've sold unless you tell them. So right. if you have a several books written all in a certain niche, what it does is it gives you credibility in that niche, sure. which allows you to do other things in that niche. So whether you're angling to be a, a motivational speaker someday or becoming a nonprofit wizard or becoming a ultra marathon expert blogger, whatever it may be, whatever that niche you're writing these books in, you really have to look at it as a, I'm just building credibility and experience to, you know, have a, have a better resume to present um, to the public by writing these books. It, it, and once in a while you might get lucky and hit a home run with something, but usually that's never going to happen. So um I've had a number of book authors on the show, veteran book authors, and um, a lot of them do it for different reasons, but it's usually, it usually helps them establish themselves in a niche and, and, and provide credibility for that. Yeah. Joe, I would add too, with all the things that your show does, it, it also is, um, again, got a day job, day career. It's a great career, but it gives a, a kind of what I call a side hustle on something that maybe adds something that may be missing or that you want to augment. I have fun with this. I have fun with running. I've been doing it for I'm entering my fourth decade of marathons. Um, so it's, it, I would recommend that to those folks that are in transition too, as they find that next career um, to seek something else on the side that gives them joy and gives them other things besides your career and family. That's great. I mean, career and family, family, especially very key, but it gives them something else to aspire to that keeps them in the game on things. In this case, for me, it's running and applying that and, and, and saving lives, saving veteran lives through running. To me, it's, it's one of the things I love to do, but, but, and even better to help veterans and first responders overcome PTS. So creating that side hustle in addition to family and career, I think uh, keeps people going, gives them a motivational factor as well. It's awesome. Hey, Tony, we're about out of time. Uh, normally I ask folks um, if, if you were to give some advice to those folks about ready to get out and wanting to get into entrepreneurship, I was going to ask you, why, why would you recommend somebody getting out if they get a day job? Why should they have a side hustle? But I think you just answered that. Um, <laughs> so I do want to ask you, uh, tell us uh, the name of your book and wh where the best place to find it is. Sure, Joe. I really appreciate it. It's called Embracing Grit, How a Flatland Veteran Conquered the Leadville 100 Marathon. You can find it at Amazon.com or my website, Tony Hoffman Grit, one word, Tony Hoffman, one F, two N's, grit.com. 
Um, I'm also on Facebook, um, also Instagram and LinkedIn, Joe. So appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to promote that, but more importantly, to maybe assist transitioning veterans as they seek, um, seek life outside the military. That's awesome. Well, Tony, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and, and experience and, uh, um, the phenomenal success you've had in some of the, in not just marathons, but these ultra, what do they call that? Do they call it an ultra marathon or is it? Is Anything it, over 26.2 Joe is called an ultra. So okay. I would rather do the 26.3, <laughs> but I've decided uh, 50 or hundred miles uh, while I can still do them. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate you sharing your wisdom experience. We look forward to your future success and, and raising money for a good cause. Thanks again for all you do, Joe. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>